This is Joel Johnson, Senior Minister at Parkview Christian Church. I want to thank you for listening to our sermons online. If you have any questions, feel free to contact me by email at joeljohnson at parkviewfinley.org. We'll begin our new series uh, this week called Hope for the Holidays. We'll carry us through the end of the year. And as we walk through this series, we're going to be looking at the story of the birth of Jesus and recognizing hope that exists within that story, hope that, that is presented in the lives of the people who were present for the birth of Jesus, hope that we see beyond that story into the pages of Scripture, hope that extends into our lives today. As we learn from history, our, our goal is to apply that hope to the way that we live, to, to discover greater meaning and hope. And so what we'll be doing also while we're discovering where hope is, is also seeing different aspects of hope through the expression that we find in the, the story of the birth of Jesus. We're going we're gonna to begin today in the, the book of Luke chapter 1. If you want to begin turning there, we'll, we'll get to Scripture in a few moments. Uh, the words will be on the screen. If you want to read along your Bible, that's great. If you want to use the YouVersion app, you can use a phone or tablet. Search for Parkview Findlay under events and find Scripture and sermon notes there in the YouVersion app. But today, as we begin our, our series, we're going to be talking about the anticipation that comes with Christmas and the hope that's found within. Every year we look forward to Christmas. As a family, in our household, there, there's an anticipation that builds. And every household's different, just as every person is different. For some households, there's a huge level of anticipation leading up to the event of Christmas. Uh, other households, there's a slow taper the few weeks before Christmas getting to the event. Individually, we all, we all experience the event of Christmas in different ways. Now, I know, for having talked to some of you, that, that you feel differently about Christmas. There are, there are some very elf-like people in our congregation who get very excited about Christmas. They're already decorated. They're ready to go. They're thinking about parties and plans and, and meals and, and desserts and things that they're going to make, and Christmas is, is an exciting time for them. There are other people in our congregation that are a little bit grinchy. Let's be honest. There are some people who don't look forward to, to the, the overwhelming celebration of Christmas. Sure, they appreciate the birth of Jesus, but the, the, the commercialism, the gifts, it, it all becomes a little bit much. I understand. I understand that thought process as well. In my household, however, Christmas is a big deal. If you've met my wife, you know why. There are two things that she loves more than anything else. That's Florida and Christmas. And so Christmas, I think, trumps all this time of year is a big time of year for us. Decorations. Um, this year, however, I felt a little bit like a failure. We had some friends over uh, with kids. We went trick-or-treating in our neighborhood. And the, the day after that, I noticed that our neighbors were taking down their Christmas decoration or their, their Halloween decorations and immediately putting up lights. There was no space in between. And there are several houses in our neighborhood that beat me to the punch, that decorated completely for Christmas already at the end of, of October. They were ready to go. And, uh, you know, I, I know there's a high level of expectation for the decorations in our house, and I, I, I wasn't there in terms of timing this year, and I, I feel bad about that. But we did get them up. Everything's ready to go. Just need to set the timer and turn the lights on now. I like to do that when the weather's warm so that I'm not freezing on, on an icy ladder trying to put lights up. Just get it done early and then turn the lights on later. But our neighbors really outdid themselves. There's some huge light displays. There's a, a kid that lives down around the, on the corner that I think is trying to get recruited by the Toledo Zoo. He, I mean, their yard is overwhelmingly decorated. I, blow up, 
scenes, lights on the trees, on the house. I can't imagine their electric bill this time of year, but we do, we do a reasonable job area. Tasteful is what I would say. We don't overdo it at our place. Um, but, but all of this builds up the anticipation as we work our way towards Christmas. Anticipation builds. And as we think about what anticipation feels like around Christmas, I think it's important for us to think back to childhood. Think back to those memories when Christmas morning was amazing. I remember when I was a kid, me and my two sisters, they're both older than I am, we had to wait on Christmas morning to come down the stairs all together after everybody was ready. And I think maybe that's the worst time of anticipation, like that the day of Christmas Eve leading up to Christmas morning, especially that last 12 hours, knowing there's gifts under the tree, but not being able to see, not being able to experience any of it until the right moment. We would have to wait upstairs behind a closed door in the hallway. Mom would bring us cups of hot tea, a cinnamon roll. We would just have to wait until the timing was right and we could come down the stairs. And, you know, if you remember your childhood days, you got kids of your, you know, that moment is, is, is such a precious time when, when kids come down and they see the tree and the gifts and the decorations and they smell the food cooking. It's like, oh, Christmas. It's that moment you want to capture. My dad would put up a video camera and aim it at the stairs so he could see us walking down. It's just such a, a special moment for, for families. And, and my parents had this rule about us staying upstairs behind that closed door. And I, don't, I don't know if they thought maybe like one of us would wake up at three in the morning, come down and shake all the gifts and trying to figure out what was under the tree, why they had this rule. Not that I ever did that, but I can see that they thought I might, but I never had the opportunity. They were very, very careful about how to build up that anticipation for Christmas. Now, anticipation is the act of thinking forward, planning ahead, talking about what's coming, preparing for an event that has not yet happened. Anticipation involves a a level of certainty as we think forward, expectation of things that are yet to come, and with that anticipation, we find that it builds. Anticipation builds as we think about future events, as we prepare for those events coming. And that building of anticipation produces emotion in us. Very often excitement, especially when we think about Christmas. We think about all the things that we're going to do, all the the gifts that we're going to share, about the gifts we'll give to people and wonder whether they'll like it or not, the gifts we'll receive from other people. It's just celebrating the birth of Jesus and and the food and the decorations and all of it. It's just an exciting time. And we feel the the, the buildup of that excitement as we get closer but those emotions aren't the same for everybody when we talk about anticipation. There, there are some people who, who hate that feeling of anticipation. They hate surprises. And so as things build up to a big event, there's, there's a level of anxiety that, that becomes present, even dread for some people as they, they think about a big event coming and all the work and the responsibility and the things that it, it's actually a negative experience as anticipation builds. Now, my wife is one that hates surprises. If I, if I have a, a plan to, to do something nice for her for Christmas, for example, I can't say in November, oh, just wait, you're going to love the gift I got for you this year. Because for the next month, she will just ask me over and over again, what, what are you doing? What are you getting? What kind of surprise are you? Are you, you said there's going to be something. What is it? Tell me about it. She hates to be surprised. And she hates the buildup of anticipation, knowing something is coming. And I've learned the hard way that it's better not to surprise her by building up anticipation. Now, if I want to do something nice, I just do it and don't tell her it's coming. Because there have been a couple of times where I said, by the way, I'm really excited about what's going to happen this year. And she, that excitement built up, she started thinking about it. And then when I finally presented what it was, she's like, oh. <laughs> and I knew, like, oh, this is, I need to be more careful how I do this. 
And so now when I plan things, I try and do it discreetly and not let her know, not let that anticipation build because sometimes those feelings get out of hand. The, the thought process as we allow anticipation to build up is, can be overwhelming. So as you're thinking about the holidays this year, I just want to remind you that whether you're ready for it or not, anticipation is building. And, and, and your senses are being engaged to build that anticipation. As you go shopping, even in October, and you start hearing Christmas music playing on the loudspeakers, you know Christmas is coming. Obviously, they want me to think about buying gifts for other people because I can hear Christmas music. As you look around and see decorations and lights, that anticipation continues to build. As you smell the foods that only come at this time of year, you know Christmas is coming. And regardless how you feel about that process, you can't escape this time of year. We're all going to move into a time of celebration of the birth of Jesus. And so what I want to do right now as we prepare for that time is to look through a couple of places in Scripture that, that remind us of the anticipation that builds around the event of the birth of Jesus. We're going to begin in Luke chapter 1, beginning in verse 26, with the message that Mary received from the angel Gabriel. Let's read together. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. And Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of a greeting this might be. The angel said to her, Don't be afraid, Mary. You found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son. You are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. I want to think for just a minute about Mary's perspective hearing this message, about the anticipation that would have begun in her, thinking about what this would mean for her. Now, here, here's a young woman who's pledged to be married. She's a virgin. And she's been thinking all about Joseph becoming her husband, about what it would mean to become a wife, about the change that would take place in family building up to the, this wedding day, thinking all about it. And now she gets a message from an angel, and now she's thinking baby and the weight of responsibility that goes with that. And there are levels of anticipation that I think she might have been going through. First is physical. Anticipating this nine months of carrying a child. And then the delivery after that. I, I have no idea what that would be like. But I can't imagine the, the kind of anticipation that builds leading up to delivery. <laughs> I get nervous about getting a cavity filled at the dentist. This, I think, would be an overwhelming kind of experience leading up to that day. And that's what Mary was, was suddenly facing. Oh, wow. All these things that I wasn't expecting now, they're looming on the horizon. She would have had to prepare to, to, to communicate this set of events to other people. To Joseph, she, she doesn't know yet that the angel is going to talk to Joseph. How's she going to explain to the man she's going to marry what, what's going to happen? How's she going to talk to her family, to her friends, to, to the, the town that she lives in, the, the changes that are taking place, and, and how <laughs> she's been selected and has no fault in the process? A difficult prospect. Think about preparing for a child to be in the home. Now, I know how we prepared for children to come into our home, and I think it was probably different back then, but I don't have any real good information about the Middle East at this time. 
I don't know if there was a baby shower for little Jesus. I don't know what kinds of things they did to prepare a home. Like, we bought outlet covers, and I went through the house and covered up every outlet. I don't think Mary did that, just to make sure baby Jesus didn't stick his fingers in the outlets. We got, you know, high chairs and car seats and, you know, one of those little backpacks to put a baby in. Can you imagine baby Jesus walking around in a little baby backpack? They would have done so many different things to prepare for a child in the home. Different things than I would have done, but still there's this, this sense of anticipation and preparation that would have gone into this process. And Mary carried the weight of that responsibility. And on top of all that was the idea of divinity. This baby is going to be called the son of the most high God. He'll sit on the throne of David, and his reign will extend forever. I can't imagine the kind of anticipation she felt, knowing that her son would be the child of prophecy, the Messiah, and what that would mean for them as a family. But added to that sense of anticipation is this element of hope embedded in the angel's message, this this hope of the Messiah coming about in the world around them. It would be this child who would be born. And that's what the message of Jesus adds to anticipation. It's hope. Think beyond Mary and all the things she would have felt. Think about the people of Israel. Mary's thinking about nine months of anticipation, but the Israelites have been waiting for centuries for prophecies about the coming Messiah to be fulfilled. They've been living under these prophecies, wondering and waiting and hoping for what God would do in the world around them. Can you imagine living under this hope but not knowing when it would take place? Living under this hope, not knowing who would be the Messiah. Living under this hope, not knowing how those events would come about and just watching continually wondering what it would look like as God did the miraculous in the world around them. Now, there are so many prophecies that the people of Israel knew about the Messiah, more than we can read in a Sunday morning. I'll highlight just a few of them for us that, that are reflective of the message that the angel gave to Mary. We begin in Isaiah chapter 7, verses 13 and 14. It says this, Isaiah said, Hear now, you house of David. Is it not enough to try the patience of humans? Will you try the patience of my God also? Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. Later in verse 9, said this, and you might recognize these words. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. He will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. And in Jeremiah chapter 23, it says this, The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch, a king who will reign wisely and do what is just and right in the land. In his days, Judah will be saved and Israel will live in safety. This is the name by which he will be called the Lord, our righteous Savior. That carries with it such a huge weight of significance. And that's, that's what the message the angel gave to Mary carried with it. Just a hint of that overwhelming significance in the events that were going to take place, the anticipation that also brought about hope to the world. 
to the people of Israel. Who have been living under this prophecy, anticipating what was coming, this deep-seated, life-changing kind of anticipation fulfilled by the message about Jesus being born. And the people of Israel are counting on the Messiah coming. They have been hearing these prophecies for so long. Prophecies that were fulfilled in the life of Jesus over and over and over again, validating his identity. They've been waiting for so long that they, they allowed this anticipation to build in their minds what, what the Messiah would look like. And as they thought about the Messiah from all the prophecies they had heard, they thought about a ruler who would reign over them forever. A ruler in the, in the line of David. And their minds went back to the stories that they heard of the, the glory days of the kingdom of Israel, of, of King David, who opposed all foes, who was victorious because of the hand of God in his life, the, the wealth and the splendor and the glory that defined them as a people. And they started thinking, if we had a Messiah, we could overthrow the Romans who rule over us with an iron fist. We could find freedom from that tyranny. When the Messiah comes, we'll live in the, in the wealth that comes from a, a generous and benevolent king. When we have a Messiah, we'll have someone to rule over us that will remind the people around us of the, the respect and fear that was once present among our people because of the banner that we march under and victory after victory that will be accomplished through the work of this Messiah. And all this anticipation built up this image in their minds that surpassed reality, that deviated from reality. And there's a warning that we find here in this anticipation that when we allow our emotions to take hold and when we let the, the thoughts that we have about things that are coming in the future spiral out of control, we, we sometimes have a way of stepping beyond what God has in store for us, stepping away from what God has in store for us because we let our imaginations deviate from what God has set forth for us because of the, the building of anticipation. And that's, that's the, the, the danger that the people of Israel realized when Jesus was born and they refused to acknowledge him as Messiah. As he grew and claimed his identity as the Son of God and they said, no, that's blasphemy. You can't, you can't be the Messiah. And their idea of being raised up out of their place in society, of elevated to a greater status in the world, caused them to miss out on what God was doing in their lives and in the world around them. They, that God's idea for them as a people and bringing about the Messiah, God's idea for the world and bringing about his, his Messiah, yes, was redemption. Yes, was freedom and salvation, but not from an oppressive force. It was forgiveness of sins, salvation with eternity in mind. And if they recognized Jesus for who he was, they would have recognized the greater hope that they had, not just about their quality of life, but about what God was calling them to become as his people, an eternal relationship with him. The presence of Jesus provides hope for today and for the future. And when we acknowledge the presence of Jesus... It does more than just improve our place in life. When we accept him as Lord and Savior, we find forgiveness in him that frees us 
from the oppressive weight of sin that ushers us into a new life in Him that carries over into eternity as our relationship remains. We no longer have to fear judgment and hell, but we know that our relationship with the Lord provides for us a greater hope for the future. If you turn with me to Luke chapter 2, I want to cover one final story that, that helps us understand the hope that's yielded through anticipation. There's a story of Simeon and Anna who were there at the, at the temple when Jesus was brought. It's Luke chapter 2, beginning verse 25. Now, there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts. When the parents brought in the child, Jesus, to do for him what the custom of the law required, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace, for my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. The child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, This child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against, so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed, and a sword will pierce your own soul too. There was also a prophet Anna, the daughter of Penuel, of the tribe of Asher. She was very old. She had lived with her husband seven years after her marriage and then was a widow until she was 84. She never left the temple but worshipped night and day, fasting and praying. Coming up to them at that very moment, she gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. Now what I want to highlight from this passage is Simeon's response to the presence of Jesus. Notice how he spoke directly to the Lord about the anticipation that was present in his life and the fulfillment of that anticipation. Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace, for my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation to Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. This is what Simeon had been living for, this moment. Standing in the presence of Jesus, he'd been living for this. And he recognized that this little boy represented God's salvation. Through Christ, salvation would come to all people. Through Christ, the people of Israel would see the glory of God. They would be present among them. Through the salvation, all people would have the opportunity to discover a new life in Christ, a life free from sin, a life devoted to God, a life lived in relationship with Him. That's what's made possible. That's the hope that's added to anticipation. But it's a hope that we have to embrace. It's a hope that we have to choose to live for. And that's not an easy decision to make because there's so many things that we find ourselves living for. Striving for, unconsciously, working towards the things that we have thought about happening in the future, these events that have not yet taken place. And we've allowed ourselves to be so committed to these future goals that we begin living for them to the detriment of presence of Jesus. Think about all the things that you're living for right now. You're living for success. Carving out your place and where you work. You're working toward 
financial stability for your family, pass on an inheritance to live through retirement, working for recognition, people seeing you as good at what you do, contributing significantly to society, working towards these goals that you have. Maybe you're working toward the goal of, of having children. You're anticipating what that will look like, much like Mary did. And you're hoping and praying and waiting for that change of life that will mean so much to you. And you've wrapped up your whole life in this process. Maybe, maybe you, you have kids already and you're imagining who they will become. And you are devoting every ounce of your energy to helping them become helping them reach their full potential. Maybe you've got older kids in your house and you're anticipating what it will be like to have an empty nest and you're ready for them to start making their mark on the world instead of all over your house. Maybe your kids are grown and, and you're anticipating retirement and you're working towards that goal of, of living free from the job that binds you and, and discovering what life looks like after that. Maybe you're so busy right now, so stressed with what you're doing, that honestly you're just living for the weekend, hoping to get through to Friday so that you can have a break and rest and recover before you have to get back to it on Monday. We find ourselves devoted to so many things, living for something that's coming, bound to to the pressing and the immediate that's here and now. And yet, we're confronted with what life could look like if we would be living for the presence of Jesus. What, what, what changes would it make in you to begin living for this relationship with Him? How would it, how would it alter your outlook on life? How would, it, how would it change the way you approach your workplace, the people that you encounter every day? How would it change your, your perspective on life? The presence of Jesus that would open your mind beyond just, just elevating your place in this world to expanding your thoughts to eternity and to living your life with eternal significance here and now. What would it mean for you to live for the presence of Jesus? His presence helps us to understand the hope that we have for today. And no matter what you've devoted your life to, you have an opportunity to surrender that life to him. No matter how far down the road of sin you've traveled, you can be restored by the presence of Jesus. No matter what destruction you've produced in your lives, through consequences of sins, we can begin the process of healing and restoration because of his grace. And it all begins accepting the presence of Christ as Lord and Savior and allowing him to, to change you, to alter your outlook on life, your perspective in this world. And it's our hope that life can have meaning and purpose in Christ that's fulfilled through his presence when we accept him as Lord and Savior. It's a hope that carries on into eternity. But it's not a hope that we just wait for eternity. It's not about accepting Christ so that we will only go to heaven and not to hell. The presence of Jesus is in hand future hope. And if that future hope is true, the presence of Jesus will change you from the inside out here and now as you begin living your life for him and discovering how his love and grace will change the way 
you do. Everything that you do. We have been given a hope that surpasses our imagination about how God will redeem our lives for his glory. That's what his hope brings to us. This morning, I want to invite you to make a decision about your relationship with the Lord. To choose to live in his hope and in his love and in his grace. If you have a decision to make this morning, if there's anything in your life that you need prayer for, I would invite you to come forward as we stand and sing together. Please stand.